what you can be and what you are two different things. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am your host, Adam Jacquez, joined as always by my good friends, Tyler and Corbin. Guys, it feels like it's been a little bit uh, of a long time since we actually recorded. I guess maybe just one day difference, but uh, not a whole lot is new on my end. What is up with you guys, though? Starting with uh, with Corbin, he had an interesting week. Corbin, fill us in. Guys, I'm getting old. I am uh, officially 29 as of this week. I uh, drank for about 12 hours straight on Tuesday. Uh, any recommendations out there? Just, you know, want to throw it out to, to, to our listeners. If you can avoid it, don't have a birthday on Tuesday. Uh, it just it just makes for a long week, guys. Uh, but yeah, it was great. Went to the uh, the All Star game. Took a half day at work. Uh, obviously, you know, thanks to all the uh, political stuff, Denver got the All Star game this year. So uh, I'll take it. Um, but it was yeah, a good time. And uh, yeah, was out till about midnight. Got home about one. So. Um, you know, it's been a zombie mode ever since, but can't complain. Full capacity. Full capacity. Nice. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, it's been kind of a crazy week for, for myself as well. Um, last seven to 10 days, um, cousin passed away. So dealing with all the family stuff, um, being away out of Norman for about three or four days, funeral things and, and, uh, get back from all that work one day. And then next thing you know, hop on a flight to Vegas with Andy and spent three days there. And that's about as long of a trip to Vegas, that was about all that I could handle. I was ready to get home, but had a had an absolute fantastic time. Got to cross another thing off my sports bucket list. Um, you guys know Corbin, especially we're pretty big UFC fans, so getting to be in attendance for that um, twenty one thousand people. I was telling Andy on the on the uh, flight home. You know, I've gotten to go to a lot of a lot of cool sporting events. Got to go to a lot of different venues, NBA Finals, you know, Rose Bowl, World Series, and. Being in that arena for that event, that is by far the coolest thing that I've ever done as a sports fan. So, had a really good time. Excited to be back. And guys, we're tomorrow when this podcast drops. We're fifty days away from kickoff. Yeah. How did uh, How did Mick Regger do? <laughs> well, he broke his damn leg, Adam. <laughs> he broke He broke his leg in half down right. there, just above the ankle. Take Take your Irish glasses off. Okay. Do you still feel the same about Conor McGregor now than you did before the fight? Uh, from what, as far as, 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 as far a, as what goes as a fan and how you viewed him as a person, as a person, I think a lot of it is an act. I mean, like we said, I mean, he was, he was on the ground less than 30 seconds after snapping his leg and he's already promoting the next fight. So he's the UFC, he's Dana's cash cow. I mean, that's how it's always going to be. I don't think, I think that probably his career in terms of chasing titles and chasing belts, I think that's probably done at this point right now. It's a long road to get back to that. Um, but as far as prize fighting, big super fights, there's a, still a lot of opportunities out there for him. And I mean, guys, kind of like what we talked about, you know, with Tiger Woods, you know, kind of how he transcended the game of golf, especially when it comes to, you know, money and revenue. Connor's the exact same way for that. So, you know, whether you're a fan of him or whether you whether you can't stand him, chances are you're going to tune in to see if. You know, he's either going to whip someone's ass or he's going to get his ass whooped. So, but no, my my opinion hasn't hasn't really changed on it. Like I said, it was fantastic. The walkout was outstanding. That's I mean, chilling. So we we had a really good time. Um, placed a couple bets, made some money, had some fun at the the blackjack and the roulette table, and uh, even put a bet on OU to win the national championship. So hopefully, um, come January, I'll have to make a return trip out there to to cash in that bet. So we'll see. It it had flashbacks of Anderson Silva mm-hmm. at the kind of the tail end of his career, throwing mm-hmm. a leg kick against Chris Weidman, snapping it in half. Anderson was never the same again. Yeah. Can't help but to think on the professional front, like you just, you just don't come back from those things. Um, and it's kind of one of those things too, where I don't want him to go down the Ronda Rousey route to where she achieved everything. There was nothing more she could do. She hung around in the sport too long. And ultimately, you know, those last two to three losses, I mean, Ronda's still a fantastic champion. She's the pioneer for women's MMA, but you've got to, you know, you've got to realize, you know, how much longer do you truly want to do this when you've got half a billion dollars in the bank? But no, it was, um, it, it, it was fun. Like I said, it's, uh, it was a bucket list thing. I was glad I was able to do it. I, uh, I, I lost, I lost fandom for Connor over the weekend. I think he took it too far. Um, I, I get this showmanship and all that, but when you start saying stuff like "I'm going to kill you and your wife in your sleep" and pointing a gun to your head as your opponent's walking Wait, out, of the room, what? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah. That that stuff is messed up and that's not trash talk. That's just you being an asshole. Yeah, and no, I didn't see that. Was that with Rogan? <laughs> when when shout out Joe Rogan crawling down there and laying yeah, that was such a weird scene. Well, uh, between that and the oh, your wife's in my DMs, like, yeah. dude, your leg's broken. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it just it was it 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 no longer became a show. It became very like personal attacks, right? Petty. And it's like, yeah, I kind of lost it. But dude, I'll tell you what, man, Dustin gained a shit ton of fans over over that whole thing. When Connor's over there saying that stuff, and Dustin's like, dude, forget you, and go, you know spend money towards this wounded warrior project, help out this kid battling. I forget what, what disease he had, but that's yeah. how he used his platform. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's, you know, repping the red, white, and blue, that's, that's going to go a long way for Dustin. And I can't wait for Dustin to be in the title fight. And I hope, I hope he wears the belt. And around. that's, that's one thing that I was telling Andy. I mean, it was sad that Dustin was going against Connors cause I'm a Connor fan, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a Poirier fan. What he does for his community with, with his foundation. I mean, how can you not like the guy, especially if you follow his career and those early losses. Now he's battled back. And I think he's, you know, a couple wins away from being the, you know, most decorated fighter in UFC history from a win perspective. So, wow. um, but no, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it, it was a good time. Like I said, I've said that many times uh, here here on this podcast, and it, it'll be fun to go back. I, one th- one other thing was, you know, I've n- I'd never been to Vegas before, and of all the weekends to go, you've got a Garth Brooks concert, Bieber was performing, Chainsmokers, Connor. So a lot of interesting people in that town. Let me just say that. I mean, the, being at the UFC fight, that was number one for me. The people watching was a close second. A lot of interesting people in, in that city, and we we had a really good time. Glad to be home, though. And we know that you also went to the Beaver concert, so that was your third one. Uh, we ate sure. we ate dinner at the Win, which is where his concert was that night. So very very crowded. It was kind of funny. We saw you know going back to to basketball. Um, as soon as we walked into the steakhouse, Avery Johnson was you know stretched out on the couch right there. We saw Fran Fraschilla uh, at brunch one morning. So it was it was pretty cool seeing some some uh, big time basketball guys, especially Fran. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one of the big uh, news items, I guess, that's more OU focused, uh, since we are an OU pod, is Big 12 Media Days that just got wrapped up uh, today. OU was uh, actually the day before, but um, I don't know. It felt uh, the more, the longer and longer Lincoln is around, the more it seems like there's nothing new that he can really say that's going to be interesting or surprising. And it seems boring, but I honestly think that's kind of a good thing. You know, everyone else is looking around going, hey, what is our new coach going to do? Maybe they can get us back to the top. You know, what's, what, what are they like? What's their personality? But as OU fans, boring is good. That's status quo for us. But was there anything that stood out to you guys? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's been very repetitious. I feel like a Big 12 media day, I mean, OU's the preseason pick. I mean, it's the same standards, same expectations year in and year out. So you know what you're going to get from Lincoln. But, you know, other than Lincoln kind of dropping the, you, you know, having the mic drop at the beginning, you know, saying how great it is to be in Arlington here in our second home, there were a couple things that I kind of took away from it. I mean, whenever he was on ESPNU with Dusty, um, a little bit before taking the main podium on stage, he was talking about the offensive line and how excited he and Coach Beanbow were, saying that this group, you know, that they've they haven't been as excited about the possibility of of an offensive line group since the 2018 squad, thinking that it's going to be very comparable to the potential of what that squad uh, did. And you know, there were some dudes. I think there were four NFL guys on that offensive line. So if we can get the production this year, even close to what we saw in 2018, you've got to feel even better. Uh, about OU's chances this year to, to win an eighth national championship. Corbin? Yeah, guys, I don't put much weight into any of this. Both of you know that. Um, there wasn't anything outlandish that any of the guys said, anything Coach Riley said. If there was anything I took away, it was actually a quote from Matt Campbell. Um, and Herb Street, I think, had retweeted it. And Coach Campbell was asked why he hadn't left Iowa State for another job. And his response was, I didn't get into this profession to be somebody. I got in this profession to do something. And if that doesn't deserve your football guy of the week, I don't know what will. So um, just add it to, you know, another another list of – or no reasons on the list of why we love Coach Campbell and everything he's doing. Um, I, who knows, guys? Maybe he is around, you know, at Iowa State for a really, really long time when it doesn't make sense in today's world that that ever should be the case. I will be shocked if he's at Iowa State next year. Really? Well, I'm I, 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 something. Maybe. Well, 
Go ahead, Adam. I mean, I'll say this. Uh, of any fan base, you know, any other fan base, I would say they don't deserve Matt Campbell. But Iowa State fans are, are so good. They're so dedicated to showing up. And for years and years, they were not good. I'd say, I mean, what a perfect match for them. I'm happy for them that they have him. He's turned down some pretty, you know, high-level jobs and opportunities and really hasn't even stepped his foot up just to even interview for a whole lot that I'm aware of. So I don't really know where he would go. He's this quote will haunt him if he goes. Right. True. True. And he's talked about it in past interviews that Michigan is one that, that would be on his radar. That's such a big enough job that coming from an Iowa State where, you know, he's built that program into what it is today, where, you know, chances are they're going to be a top five, top seven team going into this season. Um, but I mean, if, if Jim Harbaugh fails again this year and Michigan decides that, you know, we want to capitalize on that lower buyout that we restructured earlier this offseason. You've got to think that Matt Campbell is going to be the first call and they're going to back, uh, back the Brinks truck up to that. So um, if if Campbell can re, you know, duplicate what he did last season with a predominantly veteran team having 20 to 22 guys back, you've got to think that his stock as a head coach is not going to be any higher than than what it could be after this season. What do you guys think Iowa State's max – pay for him could be what's he making right now four i feel like they would match anything that uh, anybody else would do i i don't know that Uh. they i I think they can i think they would i think they see him as the guy that can do anything for them so really it's like what you got to do everything you can to keep him you can't just say oh you know he's going to get six at michigan we'll just you know, I mean, Harbaugh's Har- Har- making eight. You yeah. got to think they'd offer him at least that. Mm-hmm. Maybe seven. I was going to say, I was going to say five to five and a half would be the most that Iowa State would would be willing I to do. Say, I was going to say six. Six would probably be the max Iowa State could do. I mean, if you if you kind of think about it, I feel like Matt Campbell could be even more competitive with Michigan in the Big Ten than he could be. With Iowa State, because when you think about it, I think the Michigan they definitely have the recruiting advantages. There's a, I mean, he's a he's a Midwest guy, uh, type of thing. When you're talking about competing with the likes of you know OU and Texas, and you know Oklahoma State's been pretty consistent here lately. The fact that if you do transition over into Michigan, really your only competition year in and year out is going to be Ohio State. Although, Ooh. I mean, I don't know Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State. Like, there's some tough teams that maybe aren't Ohio State tier, but are good mm-hmm. enough to beat Michigan year in year out. Yeah, I think the Big Ten's definitely deeper than the Big 12. So here's here's the question I think that is really interesting. Is can Matt Campbell do more at, at Iowa State with a lesser Big 12? Or could he do it more at Michigan with more resources, more talent, more of a fan base, but a tougher Big Ten? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. Why can't Iowa State be what Iowa is in the Big Ten? What is Iowa in the Big Ten? Every four Middle years, the they're going to the Rose Bowl. I mean, or at least Rose Bowl contention in some cases. But which is they do have a lot of seven and five mixed in. Which is very similar to what Iowa State is right now. Where, I mean, really your ceiling is kind of what it's at right now. Where yeah. you get a, you know, you get a group of, of seniors, you know, every three to four years to where you do have a really good team that hopefully can make a run at it. Very similar to what we've seen from Oklahoma State in the past where you get Rudolph in his senior year and yeah. and, and things like that. Now, and, I will say that Michigan would be a tougher job, but I think the upside at Michigan is higher than what it could be at, at Iowa State in terms of what he could achieve. True. But like Iowa, I think, is the model for, for Iowa State. And look at how long Kirk Ferentz has been there. He's, I believe he's the longest tenured coach in uh, in college football. Job mm-hmm. security is incredible. Like Matt Campbell's never going to get fired at Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, let's let's take a look at end of seasons here. So Matt Campbell's first year, there are three and nine, no bowl game, uh, Liberty Bowl, Alamo Bowl, Camping World Bowl, Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, pretty good path, guys. Pretty yeah, good path. just up and up and up every single year. Now I think this is going to be a tough to because he has to win the Big Twelve championship to have a better year than he did last year, and that's going to be that's going to be a tall ask. Unless he loses it, and that's his only loss on the year. And still makes the playoff. Potentially. Yeah. Adam, in your opinion right now, if you're Matt Campbell, which is a better job, Iowa State currently or the possibility of going to Michigan? I don't know. The fact that Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio State, but like once in the last, what was it, 15, 16 years or something crazy like that, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, if you're Michigan good and they're they're on to you, 
why not wait around for something slightly better, like a Penn State or a Notre Dame or something like that? Unless his heart is just Michigan. And he didn't go to school there. He went to Mount Union. So, yeah. I mean, he's from that part of the country, but... I guess the only reason why I would feel so I feel as strongly as I do thinking that there's a huge possibility that he could not be there next year is because of the fact that he's going to lose a ton off that team going into the next season tour. You could have essentially be looking to he'll be in the same position that he was two years ago where it's going to take multiple seasons to build it back up to where he has another team that can go compete for a Big 12 championship. So, but it's it's going to be a fun it's going to be fun to see. The Big 12 is definitely one of the top conferences in in the country as far as coaching goes. Yeah, and it still goes through Lincoln Riley. And, you know, he doesn't say a whole lot of interesting things. It's still a lot of coach speak. But uh, I did hear something that I I really liked from uh, Lincoln this uh, the other day here. And it was on the same stage there with Dusty on ESPNU. Um, I'll insert that clip here. What you can be and what you are, two different things. And it's just going to depend on how we work and how we come together and support each other as a team. And uh, so I'm excited about the journey. And I really liked what he said there in regards to what you can be and what you are, are two different things. And I, I love, and I hope that that's the message that the team is hearing. I think Perrion uh, Winfrey is really um, embracing that. We see a lot of good activity and things that he says on Twitter. And I hope the rest of the team is taking that to heart too. We have some really high expectations here at OU. And it almost feels like we've been talking up this 2021 team for so long that it's almost like they've already gotten to the playoffs. They're already in the national championship game and they just have to win it. And that's really not the case. Like they have to come out. They have to dominate. They have to win. They can beat every team on this schedule by two touchdowns if they're playing their best football. Um, And so they have to become that. I think another key takeaway that I took from media days and hearing from, you know, not just Lincoln, but also Jeremiah Hall, it's, you know, the hype train is full steam ahead and these guys know it. So, I mean, it's not just outside noise. These guys know what kind of guys, what kind of team is in that locker room right now. And it sounds to me like not only are they embracing the hype, but they're holding everybody else accountable. You get, we saw, we, you know, saw uh, the, the new roster that came out yesterday, the changes in, you know, in the offensive line group. It looks like, you know, seven out of ten of those guys really made a concerted effort this year to change themselves, get back to, you know, better playing weight, better than what we saw last year during a COVID season. So it definitely seems like the, the Jeremiah Halls, the Nick Benitos, the Perry on Winfrey's, like you said, Adam, they know – what's in front of them this year. They know how good this team can be, and it seems like they're doing everything they can possible right now to prep themselves, not just to hopefully make a playoff game, but that's the bare minimum this year. You know, it's time to go win a playoff game. It's time to go play for a national championship. And I would say, I don't know if you guys saw this clip. I think it was from last week on uh, 247, but um, just some people talking about how, well, OU's considered, you know, that fourth team for the playoff. The expectations from the national perspective, not from OU fans, but nationally is OU is going to get fourth. They're going to get crushed by the first or second seed. And that's about their ceiling. And and that's changing this year. I think the expectation is that you have to win that first game. And so um, I, I think that's good. I, you know, I want higher expectations for this team. Um, I think the higher the expectation is, the higher you know, and faster you can rise to that if your expectation is lower you're going to you're going to stay there essentially. So you have to raise the level of, of expectation. Well, the fact that you've got Paul Feinbaum of the SEC network and you've got somebody like Brandon Walker from Unnecessary Roughness, a diehard OU hater, takes every possible shot that he can to rip OU about their playoff performance. The fact that he's even on board coming out yesterday saying that there's there's no excuse for it this year. OU has the team that can not just get to a playoff, but they should have a team that can you know, compete and win a national championship. So it's 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 now or never. Let me ask you this. Spencer Rather wasn't uh, the selection for offensive player to, to come to media days. I think he was maybe in summer school or had some other obligation, but... Underclassman. Underclassman, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I don't know, with him being a, a freshman in 2019 and then the COVID year in 2020, we still have yet to hear a ton from him media-wise. I know early on, everyone's like, oh, you know, from the QB1 series, he's he's got maturity issues and all this stuff. We haven't heard hardly anything about him since he's gotten to campus, um, which I I think is like a really great thing. Um, I hope we don't hear anything because <laughs> that could probably be, uh, you know, a bad situation. But by all accounts and just hearing stories from people that have met him out in public and things like that, um, 
yeah, I think he's been pretty mature there. But are there any concerns from you guys on his leadership or anything like that going into this year? I still think he's a bit unproven to be, if you want me to be honest. Um, That's fair. In in tough early games last year, he was okay. He had a lot of good. He had a lot of bad. So I think that that is a is whether I'm fully invested in like oh that should be a worry. I think it's a valid question of okay this season has the most hype and potential and pressure on it that we've had in a few years, him at the helm, even though it was early, his first year starting COVID off season, I get it. But when those pressure situations were, you know, there last year, um, he wasn't overly impressive. I think he played well uh, against Texas in overtime, but you could say his mistakes at the beginning of that game were on the, were the reason we were in overtime in the first place. Um, didn't look good against K-State late. Didn't look good against Iowa State late. So, you know, I think there's some question marks of when, not if, we get into a dogfight, which it's going to happen at some point in that season, what are we going to get out of Spencer? Um, hope for the best. I think there's no doubt the talent's there. But in situations last year where the games were tight, you know, there's a little more to be wanted. He definitely had some growing pains last year, and I'm going to chalk part of that up to not having a traditional offseason, not being able to go through camp. I mean, OU lost their first two conference games last year, and he was a large part of it was, you know, not just the defense kind of falling asleep, but he made some mistakes late in the game, throwing some interceptions. But the one thing that kind of gives me, you know, some encouragement, and let me just start out by saying that I think the difference between OU winning a national championship this year and not, I think it hinges on how great can Spencer be. Can he get up there close to that level of production like what we saw from 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 Baker and Kyler throwing in terms of throwing the football? But I think kind of the key moment where I started to believe like, okay, this is the guy that can do it was at halftime of the Texas game last year because he had two really, really – not not bad weeks. I mean, he played really well against Iowa State. He's not the reason we lost that football game. But you start out 0-2 in conference play in your first two conference games as a starting quarterback at OU. You get benched at halftime the following week against Texas. He could have just as easily gone the other way and mailed it in. But, no, he came back, uh, led OU to win in overtime, then they run the table the rest of the year. So the skills are there. I think having a full off season, Lincoln kind of – you could kind of tell on Lincoln how excited he is and he sees the growth. So I think Spencer's in a good position going into this year. Yeah, I think he followed the arc of a first-year starter where, you know, there were some ups and downs in the first half of the season. But then in the second half of the season, we didn't experience too many dogfights, really maybe the Iowa State Big 12 championship game. But for the most part, I think that was a lot uh, had to do with what Spencer Rather was doing in those games and not allowing it to become a dogfight. Look at what he did against Oklahoma State, um, even against Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU. Like He had some great performances in some of those games and played pretty mistake-free for the most part in the second half of the season. So I have a lot of confidence that he's going to take a, a huge additional step this year. It would be interesting to see how Lincoln handles it because I do think Lincoln, whether you want to call it conservative or whether you want to call it you know, trusting in the defense – Guys, there were some times Baylor second half or kind of second and third quarter of Oklahoma State. There were some gaps in there against Iowa State where the offense just disappeared. I mean, it was doing nothing, and it was solely on the defense to maintain some of those leads. So, will Lincoln get back to the old ways? And maybe he doesn't have to with this type of defense. Maybe he doesn't want to with this type of defense. But it would be nice just to see the consistency heading into next year with Spencer Rattler. If he is who we, who we think he is, he's had a full offseason to get prepared for this year, then we should be, you know, granted. All the same with an average, right? Because we're spoiled brats when it comes yeah. to offense in Oklahoma. But that this is how good that offense should be heading into next year. I think that Lincoln sometimes, and again, take this with a grain of salt, we are spoiled. We've had a top five offense every single year that he's been here, even as an as a offensive coordinator. But it kind of seems to me like Lincoln, he's the best in the game in terms of scripting up the first couple of drives, being able to study an opponent, figure out what their weaknesses are, and say, okay, these are the first 10 to 15 plays that we're going to go with, that we're going to you know take advantage of, of what you're doing on defense. But once he gets off script and he doesn't have everything you know preset – and he's got to kind of get into the rhythm and the flow of calling, you know, play by play based on what the defense is doing after they make adjustments. Sometimes I think he struggles a little bit with that. But Corbin, I'm in complete agreement with you. Like I want to see this OU team, if they're as good as we think they can be offensively, 
I don't want Lincoln to take his foot off the gas. I mean, no pun, you know, all gas, no brakes. But I want to see OU blow teams out this year. I mean, I want to see 30, 40-point leads late into the third quarter, get some of the younger guys in there. That way we're not putting ourselves in a situation like what we saw in the Big Ten or the Big 12 championship where you're up two to three scores on Iowa State, and then you go into a lull, and then you're hanging on for dear life trying to close it out. Yeah, I think a lot of that is going to get cleaned up here as we enter the preseason. We're technically still in the offseason, but um, but I think a lot of that, just having a, a full training camp and having basically nobody out crossing fingers, knocking wood to, you know, tracing protocols this year, just knowing who's going to be able to be on the field and playing around, that's going to help a ton. Tyler, going back to your point, I think being in that that one spot, uh, hopefully uh, – the two locations for the playoff this year, here's where I'm going with this. Two locations for playoff this year is, is Dallas and it's it's Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Play in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Play in Dallas. Get your home fans behind you. Don't get in a three or four spot where you're probably going to be sent to Miami. We've had zero luck in Miami in the recent years. <laughs> get that one spot. If you run the table and you blow teams out, and I know that's easier said than done, you'll be in the one spot. All right, like maybe Bama's going to be there right, that right there with you with an unblemished record, but you know what? Bama's going to go to Miami and they're going to send OU to Dallas. Um, that's exactly how that would play out. So this is a really important year. You're not looking at Rose Bowl in Miami. You're not looking at Fiesta Bowl in Miami or you know playing in Atlanta. You've got a chance to have basically a college football playoff game in your backyard. Go get it. That's important this year. And Adam, you hit the nail on the head. As good as this team is and what we expect from them, these should be double-digit wins every single week for as good as this football team is. And, guys, one last thing that I had on Big 12 Media Day, um, and, again, I can't believe we're even talking about this for the second and third consecutive year. Yesterday we heard from Bob Bowlesby. Today, trotting out to the podium, is the Big 12 coordinator of officials, Greg Burks. And, guys, he had this quote today, and, my God, it's moments like these where I am embarrassed that we are part of this conference. So today, when Burks took the stage, he says, if you do a horns down at a Texas player as an opponent, that's going to be a flag. If a player turns to the crowd to throw the sign, it's pro- it probably would not be a penalty. But please note that I said this is probably. It's all open to interpretation. So why is it that we're two to three years into this and people are still, Texas people are still bitching and whining about horns down being thrown? I don't think it's the Texas people. I mean, if you listen to the Texas players in Sarkeesian, they're like, okay, throw the horns down. Like they, and to my interpretation of what I've read and heard, Texas doesn't care. So this isn't a Texas thing to me anymore. It's a big 12 thing. See, and like get over it. See, I think it's the upper echelon of like Texas boosters and donors that are essentially, I, I don't know, making a phone call to the Big 12 office saying, you know, we you know we don't like this, that's not respectful, you know, st- make a rule, stop them from doing that, that's not right. But I don't know, I'm, I'm just sick of hearing about that. If I mean, if they're going to change that, if, they, if they're going to enforce that, I mean, are they going to remove a chant, oh, you sucks 50 times a day during the Cotton Bowl when their fight song's playing? So, I mean, come on, that's just, it's soft as hell. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I didn't think this was a change from anything that we already knew. It kind of felt like this was how it was being called already. Um, just because we had those penalties probably, what, three, four years ago with yeah. uh, Will Greer. So it's just silly. Um, you know, it, Texas, if you're really that upset about it, don't let people score on you. Don't let so many big plays happen against you. Maybe try to get better than eight and four, seven and five. Like, Try to do something, you know. <laughs> I guess it's just weird. I guess it's just weird for me because the Big Twelve they made a made a point to start this morning off by addressing that yet again. I mean, I wouldn't have thought twice about it, but they keep dragging it up time and time again. So we'll see. Yeah, got to take care of the program that you know just allows all the rest of the teams to play in the conference with them. So we appreciate you, Texas, for allowing us the opportunity just to play football and have fun. Nice. <laughs> well, um, let's transition a little bit here. Uh, we did get some, a little bit of basketball news. I know we're it's it's the off season for them, and football's coming up, so basketball does take a back seat. But I think we're all really excited for what Porter Moser is building, and um, we did get the release of the uh, the non conference schedule. So, Corbin, if you want to walk us through here, uh, maybe some of the highlights for you on this particular schedule. Yeah, guys, early on uh, in, in the non-conference, not, not not a whole lot to be excited about. Uh, you got Northwestern State, UTSA, the Myrtle Beach Tourney, which, I mean, there was a lot of just like 
small school basketball teams uh, involved there. But getting to December, it actually changes to where I was actually overall kind of a fan of it. You go at Central Florida, you host Florida, you host Butler, play Arkansas and Tulsa. And for the SEC Big 12 Challenge, you're at Auburn. Guys, I can live with that. And to be frank, having a brand new coach, implementing a brand new system with a lot of new players, I don't mind that the first, you know, probably eight, nine, ten games aren't that tough on paper. So um, this does buy Porter Moser some time to kind of build that chemistry with the team, build some um, cohesiveness and kind of get their identity early on with some lesser opponents. But they're certainly going to be tested down the stretch in the non-conference. And then you're going into conference play, obviously, and the Big 12 is one of the, you know, year in year out toughest conferences to play basketball so um overall guys i probably give the the schedule like a, a b plus i think it's pretty solid um enough there so you know that fans should be excited to get to the lnc to get up to tulsa and any ou fans down at sec country can head over to uh, auburn alabama for that one in uh, january yeah i definitely enough here to build a good resume but also yeah. enough to really build a good team as well in the process um the one that stands out to me though i always looked as someone that sold tickets uh, for OU basketball, I always look, what is the the Christmas game? It's December 22nd, Alcorn State. So good luck to the staff trying to sell that. <laughs> One dollar tickets. Put it on $1. the mini plan. <laughs> Put it on the mini plan. Yeah, there you go. One of the six that they'll they'll trot out there. No, I, I think it's a really good blend of, of both challenge and it's a great opportunity for them to, like you said, Corbin, use those first seven or eight games, you know, get the team together, learn that new system, get them gelled, and also – Win, win seven or eight in a row and help build that resume come March. That's going to be critical for them to, to you know, have a good non-conference performance. And, I mean, Big 12, I mean, it's 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 so dang tough during the regular season. So having opponents like Florida, Butler, Arkansas, and closing it out on the road at Auburn, I mean, that's there's no better way for them to prepare for conference play, and it's going to be fun to watch what Porter Mosier and this new team can do. Yeah, and I think there's potential still to maybe add another player where – there's rumors floating around. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, just, essentially even more fireworks and summer excitement for basketball. So, I know yeah. Oklahoma State's going to be good. They added another former five-star center today. So uh, I do What's not want to play Mike Boynton's team. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's, he, he's somewhere on that staff or within Stillwater doing something. So <laughs> whatever it takes. Oh, man. Well, I think uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up with uh, our final segment here, which uh, is kind of a fun one. Uh, basically, uh, there are some other podcasts out there that have done some similar items to this, uh, mainly the Cover 2 podcast, I think, started it with uh, their dream road trip. We're going to do something somewhat similar, but uh, what we're going to try to do is try to hit uh, about eight different categories uh, throughout the season with different games, different matchups. Uh, and basically, the rules are, you can't pick the same team twice. You can't see the same team uh, in multiple instances. Yeah, I, I, I've got the same team on here. Um, I think once or twice, D- different, different, different venues. Same team, but not same game. Correct. Okay. Okay, we'll we'll allow it. We'll allow. Yeah, it. Sorry. I, yeah, I thought we could do the same teams, but just different yeah. game. There we go. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so really, yeah, clearly, we just we've got all this. Put together. <laughs> hey, we're gonna roll with it. We're gonna yeah. roll with it. What's uh, number one, Adam? Yeah, number one is uh, where are you gonna go to see a Heisman contender? What game are you gonna go for there? Uh, we'll start with Corbett. Uh, easy guys, easy. Maybe the easiest pick of the one. Uh, week one, Clemson, Georgia. DJ Ugalalele. I think I crushed that. Uh, nice. After what Trevor Lawrence has done the past three, four years, uh, being the starting quarterback at a place like Clemson, now automatically puts you into a Heisman contending you know, opportunity early in the season, especially what he was the number one ranked quarterback out of the 2019 class. I think that's right. Um, something like that. So a lot of expectations on him. And guys, we're going to find out real quick. Because uh, if there's one thing Georgia's not, uh, doesn't have question marks in, year in and year out, it's on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I think that's going to be an absolute war between those two teams. And, uh, I think the better quarterback, uh, will come out with his team on top. And both of those quarterbacks have questions between JT Daniels and DJ. So yeah, I think it'll be one just to be in a phenomenal game and a phenomenal atmosphere to be a part of, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's my number one as far as going somewhere to see a Heisman contender. 
Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge coaching mismatch, and that's kind of why I would give Clemson a little bit of an edge. Uh, just again, we're still 40, 50 days away. I might, you know, I'll be cheering for Georgia ultimately to win the game to hopefully knock Clemson out of play. But I mean, I, I've got that game a little bit later on. I was kind of thinking outside the box in terms of, you know, where I'm placing these games at so that I could see as, you know, hypothetically see as many of them as possible. See Heisman contender. Um, first one for me is Iowa State coming to Norman. Uh, Spencer Rattler, preseason favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I think that that's. Um, at least going into the season, that's what many people have pegged to be the pre-Big 12 championship. That'll be the first of two matchup between these two teams. You look at a, a team like Iowa State having 20 of 22 guys back, if they can finally get over the hurdle that is the Iowa Hawkeyes, if they can knock them off in the non-conference play, who's to say that if both teams are on the table, you could potentially be looking at a top five matchup in Norman um, second or third week in November. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So if I'm seeing a Heisman contender, I'm staying here in Norman. I want to see the front runner going into it. Um, so OU Iowa State week 12. Yeah, multiple options there. Uh, for me, I'm going a little bit different route. Uh, no bias. I'm going to see Liberty at Ole Miss. Uh, Malik Willis is getting a ton of hype for the NFL draft. Uh, I think he will get uh, a lot of people watching him this year. Is he going to win the Heisman? Probably not. Very unlikely. Is he going to be a contender? I think he'll be in the mix. Um, just like, you know, we've seen UCF quarterbacks be in the mix, just like some Cincinnati quarterbacks have been in the mix. Uh, Kellen Moore from Boise State. I think he's going to be mentioned quite a bit. He'll put up some gaudy stat lines. So um, I want to see what he can do at Ole Miss and just the storylines around this outside of the Heisman contention. Hugh Freeze returning to the Grove. Uh, Lane mm -hmm. Kiffin being on the other sideline. Can uh, Malik Willis... Uh, do something like he did last year where he, he carried the team to victories over Syracuse uh, and over Virginia Tech. So I think there's a lot of interest to, to see there. So I went a little off the radar. Um, next, what, What's your over-under for that game, Adam? <laughs> over-under? Uh, Liberty by 50. Uh, so, uh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be, a, it's gonna be a tough road for Liberty to, to even win that game. But A lot of points scored. A lot of points for sure. Um, Next category, a new stadium or maybe even a renovation that's happened recently in recent years. Uh, Tyler, we can start with you on this one. What new stadium renovation are you going to see? So I think that the parameters that we set on this one is either new stadium or renovations that have been made in the last five to ten years. So for this one, this is one of the top games that people are looking forward to this season. I'm going down to College Station, week six, Alabama, traveling to Texas A&M. I think, you know, I've been to Kyle Field, but the old stadium and the new stadium, it is fantastic. You know, people can chalk it up. It is the house that Johnny built. Uh, I mean, you look back over a two-year span, dating back to 2014 and 15, Kyle Field underwent just a one of the largest and most expensive renovation projects in the history of college athletics. So I, I want to say that, you know, it was around – it was almost $500 million and, you know, raising the attendance all the way up to I think the record is over 110000 So – the, the amount of money and, and effort that they put into that new stadium, it's going to make for one fantastic atmosphere that weekend in, in college football. So uh, week six, I'm going to A&M versus Alabama. Uh, I actually had that as one of my options for this, uh, this category. Um, I've been down to new Kyle Field for Alabama A&M. Uh, it was absolutely electric. It was one versus five at the time. A&M threw three picks. Alabama won by 21. It was great. Um I have A&M as well for this pick, but I'm actually going to Texas A&M at LSU. LSU night game has always been um, a bucket list category for me. I think that'll absolutely be a night game to end the year. Um, and that's a little bit of a rivalry forming between those two schools. Um, and so that would probably be a game that I think um, by the time that comes around, you're probably looking at both teams in the 10 to 20 range. I don't think either one is necessarily a – playoff contender um, but I still think it'll be a pretty hyped up game and um, Death Valley at night is like I said it's a bucket list thing for me and I think that would be a pretty fun one mm -hmm. yeah I am staying off the radar again for this one I'm gonna see Air Force at Colorado State going up to uh, I'm gonna spend the night at Corbin's place and then just yeah. uh, head up to Fort Collins and uh, so it's a beautiful stadium it beautiful. is yeah it is it is so impressive and really I guess generate a lot of talk when it was being built about could Colorado state be a part of the big 12, maybe an expansion candidate. And it's got an incredible stadium, lots of uh, cool little, uh, you know, not beer decks, beer gardens, essentially some cool spots, a lot of hangout spots because honestly, like Colorado state football is not that interesting. You're going to want to hang out and socialize a little bit more than watch the football sometimes, but I uh, thought that would be a fun matchup too with air force um, uh, there in week 11. 
uh, may also qualify for a different category as well. We'll talk about that later, but uh, let's move on to the next one. A lesser known rivalry. There's really no criteria for this. It's up to interpretation. Uh, Tyler, what did you come away f- uh, with on this category? It's one of the biggest games of the uh, non-conference play uh, in the Big 12. So for this one, I'm going up to Ames, Iowa for Iowa, Iowa State, the Battle of the Cyhawk Trophy. Um, I, this is a game that um, Iowa's been favored in this matchup for every every single game over the past 10 to 15 years. So uh, Iowa State, if you're going to knock them off, there's no better time than, than uh, with the team that you've got right now. So I'm going up to Ames, Iowa uh, to watch that rivalry game. Yeah, I'm actually going to South Bend for this one. Uh, USC at Notre Dame, uh, still a rivalry, not what it used to be, um, but definitely still a rivalry. Um, Huge opportunity for USC to kind of take back control of what this rivalry is. Trojans obviously controlled it in the 2000s. Since then, Notre Dame has won the last four of five, last six of eight. They've kind of had the Trojans number. you got to think every game on USC's schedule is a huge task for Clay Helton to maintain his job. A win in South Bend against Notre Dame would go a long way. So that would be a, a fun one and a great scene to be at. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm going to SMU at TCU, the battle for the iron skillet in Fort nice. Worth. Yep. I think uh, I think there's some real interest here. How good is TCU? A lot of people are high on them. I'm still in wait and see mode just because I, I don't know if Gary Patterson is, I don't want to say washed, but I don't know, just uh, you know past his prime on, on that situation. So I want to see what's going on with TCU. SMU also has a lot of former OU players uh, and some guys that maybe turned down OU to go to SMU. Um, so I think there's that could be a really fun and exciting matchup. We usually get some high-scoring games there uh, in the iron skillet. So um, I'll bounce it back to Corbin for our next category, a game where you're likely to see some snow. Yeah, I had to find a way to put this game on the list, um, and that's Army-Navy. Um, late in the year, it's got a Saturday of its own. It's been played in the snow, if not really wet, multiple, multiple times uh, in the uh, the recent past. So uh, that's a bucket list game for me. Uh, would love to be there. Uh, don't even care who wins, but the atmosphere just seems nuts. Um, and yeah, that kind of fit that category well. So Army-Navy for that one for me. <clears throat> This is one that it's it's the game. I wanted to try to figure out a way to to fit this into the schedule. Ann Arbor, Michigan, in late November, first week of December, I got to go Ohio State at Michigan. Uh, big one for Jim Harbaugh and the future of his career at Michigan. Um, not expecting anything different. I think that this is an Ohio State win, pending any any injuries. But to be there, hundred thousand fans, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, chalk it up for that, even if it is freezing cold in the snow. Yeah. For me, I'm going to the Pac-12. Wasn't a whole lot of opportunities to visit the West Coast on this one, but I think Colorado at Utah in Week 13 could be an interesting one. If nothing else, you'll get beautiful scenery. There will be snow on the the tops of the mountains there, so you'll at least be able to see that. And I I think Utah's got a pretty interesting stadium that I'd like to see. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not going so much uh, matchup on some of these. I'm just kind of going for oddities and maybe some unusual things that you wouldn't see usually. Sneaky good team in the Pac-12 this year, Utah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Next category takes a little bit of speculation, a little bit of prediction here, but the matchup that you think is going to be one versus two, who are you going to? We'll start with Tyler on this one. I went chalk with this one. I think that it's probably a, there's somewhat of a decent chance that when the preseason polls come out uh, officially from the AP, I think this could potentially be uh, one and two and that's week one Clemson and Georgia. What, what Corbin started out with in Charlotte, um, might be a little tough for Clemson to be all the way up there, but there are some high expectations in Athens right now with what Kirby Smart's got going on. So um, Clemson, Georgia, and Charlotte, North Carolina, week one. I don't think there's a chance in hell both those teams are one and two that early. If that was like week week three or four, that would help a lot. Um, but I had two games for this one. Uh, I had week 10 LSU at Bama. And I'll be honest, guys, I looked at Bama's schedule and just thought like, who could be two? I don't trust LSU to be eight no. At that point, I just I just don't see it. What I do see is Bama at AM. I can absolutely see that being a one-two matchup. Just because it's so early in the season, that's week six. Neither of them really have a tough schedule up until that point. So I think almost by default, if you see a couple teams in front of them drop a game they shouldn't, you know whoever loses the Clemson-Georgia game will be out, and both those teams will be above that loser. Um, so you know I can see that being a one-versus-two uh, honestly, guys, pretty easily 
Um, A&M's toughest game before that is what going to be in Dallas versus Arkansas. Miami, or excuse me, Bama has Miami and Florida. I mean, I don't see any losses there from either of those two teams. So uh, I think that that absolutely is probably the, if there's going to be a one versus two, that's probably where I see it. And how great is it going to be when Alabama beats them by 30? Yeah, that'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. I am going with Iowa State at Oklahoma week 12. I, let, I'm, for the sake of the exercise, I'm believing in Iowa State. In reality, I don't think Iowa State can go undefeated to that I was point. about to say, we need to listen so, back to the past yeah. three or four weeks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not as high on Iowa State, but in theory – this could be a one versus two. If Iowa State can get over that hurdle, like we talked about with Iowa, they sh- should be favored in every game going down to OU. And it's in week 12. There's plenty of time for Alabama to lose, for Clemson to lose, for other teams to get out of the way so that this can be a one versus two matchup. And that would be incredibly exciting uh, for all of us uh, here as OU fans, and especially in the Norman community. So I'm putting my faith in it, and at least this exercise that I think it could be one versus two uh, or, or pretty close there. Adam, how great is that atmosphere going to be for one and two, one versus two OU and Iowa State at 11 a.m.? It's going to be <laughs> crazy. Start drinking early, boys. Big noon Saturday. We all love it. So uh, some games that uh, probably do start at 11 a.m. a lot are group of five games. That's our next category. Uh, Tyler, we'll start with this one here for you. Who are you going to see a group of five game? Uh, so for this one, I picked a game in which it featured just one group of five opponent and Corbin, just like you were going, uh, to to see USC Notre Dame. I'm going to South Bend for this one as well. Week four, Cincinnati traveling to, to Notre Dame touchdown Jesus. Um, I could have put this game in a number of categories. Notre Dame's had some stadium renovations over the past few years, so um, I think that this is going to be a, probably a bigger game for Luke Fickle in Cincinnati than it will be from Brian Kelly. When you look at what Cincinnati's got coming back and expectations for them, I think that they're probably going to start out the year the highest group of five-ranked team. Um, so we'll see if they can duplicate what they did last year and make it to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, um, that was my number one pick for this category. Um it's not it's not group of five, but I did stumble across it, and I would love to be at at Coastal Carolina versus App State. That was a hell of a game last year, um, a game where App State was up in that game, and Coastal scored two touchdowns in the final two and a half minutes, end up winning. I know it doesn't really fit in this category, but if we're looking just outside of the Power Fives, that's one that I, I highlighted pretty early on. That like that would be a lot of fun. Nice. I went uh, total group of five here with UCF at Cincinnati. Basically, the top two runners here for the uh, Eastern Division of the AAC. So I think there's potentially a Heisman candidate in Cincinnati here, uh, maybe even UCF, uh, you know, and I think Gus Malzahn it, being at UCF is, is a really interesting storyline there. What he what can uh, what can he do and accomplish with all those resources that they have? So I think that's going to be an absolute battle. Uh, I, I so badly wanted to pick a game at Hawaii but there just wasn't really an opposing team that would even get me on that plane to go check that game out. I'd probably just skip the game and hang out at the beach uh, for for a weekend. But no, that's that's another good one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, There are a a lot of games uh, that are not being played on Saturday this year that I think were really interesting. So this was kind of a tough one for me, but maybe maybe we'll end up all in agreement here. Uh, Where are you guys going for a non-Saturday game? Tyler? I'm getting this one out of the way early on in the season. It's week one for me. I'm going to Blacksburg for North Carolina at Virginia Tech on a Friday night. Not expecting too much out of Virginia Tech this year. I think that they're still going to be down. Still might be a year or two away or maybe even another coach uh, away from getting back to where they were. But getting a chance to see Mac Brown, Sam Howell, uh, a lot of expectations within that Tar Heel program this year. So spend a Friday night, inner Sandman in Blacksburg. Sign me up for that. Yeah, that'll be electric. I'm going to go the night before that game. I'm going Boise State at UCF, opening the season in the bounce house. You got to think, guys, the past, what, two decades? Those are probably the two premier non-Power 5 schools that have really made a name for themselves. Um, that should be a really fun one to kick things off down there in, uh, what, Orlando, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, that should be a fun one. Yeah, I uh, almost went that direction, but since I had picked UCF the, the week before, I wanted to go see some different teams. So I'm going to side with Tyler on this one, UNC versus uh, – or at Virginia Tech. I think that one's pretty exciting there. Uh, anytime, you know, we get to that 
first Thursday or Friday, it's like hitting the oasis in the desert. It's like, I don't care if this is good football. I don't care if it's a Mac team. I don't care if it's Alcorn State on December 22nd <laughs> in an empty Lloyd Noble <laughs> Center. I will watch some college football. And I don't care if it's the worst game, the biggest blowout ever. Like, I'm going to watch all of this. So um, I'm just pumped. But to even add to the excitement of how good of a matchup that is, get Sam Howell out there. What is Virginia Tech going to look like? I have no clue because so many guys are transferring in and out of there, and who knows what Justin Fuente is is going to do there. But I think that one's pretty exciting. So, speaking of uh, speaking of guys that have connections to OU, uh, this is our final category. Pick a game that has a connection to OU in some capacity. Uh, Corbin, we'll start with you here. Yeah, to me, this was pretty easy, guys. I'm going Texas at Iowa State. Um, I actually have some optimism in this Texas program. Um, I don't know why. I have no reason to rhyme, but like as we've said it a million times, the talent at Texas has never has never been the issue. So now you've got a brand new start in Steve Sarkeesian going against what now is like a prominent program with Matt Campbell and Iowa State. Everybody's expecting Iowa State to, you know, be in the Big 12 championship game. Don't be surprised if Texas comes up and shocks the world right there. Um, I know Iowa State is good at home, but it's still Texas. And at some point, whether it's now or 100 years from now, they're going to start playing like it again. Watch out for that one. I think that could have some pretty big title implications uh, for who's who's playing in the Big 12 championship down in Dallas. I interpreted this one a little bit differently in terms of a game that has an OU connection. So I actually went with Oregon out in the Pac-12 traveling to Washington with Buki Radley-Hiles being the OU connection, the former, former nickelback number 44. So I went with this one basically because – I didn't have I didn't have a Pac-12 game on this, and just by looking at the pictures and from what I've heard about it, this is the one of the most beautiful stadiums in America. Just looking at the images right now, um, right there overlooking Lake Washington, you've got the downtown Seattle and the skylines, mountain ranges on both sides of the stadium, and you know do a little sailgating and taking some Pac-12 football at uh, ten o'clock at night. So yeah, I'm gonna go out there and watch Buki play and light it up. <laughs> I don't have really anything good to say there, so I'm just going to move on to uh, to my pick. And I took this a little bit differently as well. I'm going to go with a coaching connection. Uh, I'm going to maybe hate myself for going to this game because I'm going with Tennessee at Alabama in week eight. It's going to be really hard to root for a team in orange. It's going to be hard to root for Tennessee. I do not like their fans at all for the way that they've handled all their coaching searches. I'm just not a huge fan of what, what they are and what they're doing there, but and then Josh Heupel, you kind of have this weird, like, we love him as a player. We try not to think about his offensive coordinator uh, tenure at, at OU, and now he's he's really cold towards, you know, the OU program. But I do want to see what he can do as a coach, and this is the biggest measuring stick here. He might get completely blown out, uh, but it's a rivalry game, so I'll, I'll take it all in and just see what we get, I guess. I don't know what the line's going to be on that one, but I will be hammering Alabama. Yeah, and that matchup. <laughs> there's, there's, there's two things in college football you should always bet for. Whatever the line is, take it above Kansas. <laughs> Whatever the line is, take it for Bama. Whatever Those are the, the two promising things. Yep. And if you want to add a third one in there, first half Alabama line for them to cover. So, yep, yep. they come out swinging. So, uh, well, that's going to complete our our road trip. I guess we're not doing uh, every single week, but we're seeing some of the the highlights of the season, and so that's where we would would wrap things up but appreciate everyone listening follow us on twitter at the mainline pod one uh, and take 30 seconds give us a five-star review on apple podcast we greatly appreciate that and we will see everyone again for another episode next week